Hello, Future Fluency listeners. In this episode, we're diving deeper into Latino representation in the boardroom. It's a topic we discussed briefly last episode that has gained even more attention recently with the passage of a new law in California. Under the new law, publicly traded companies headquartered in the state will be required to diversify their boards to include at least one board member from an underrepresented group by the end of 2021. Depending on the overall size of the board, those California companies may need to add a second or third director from an underrepresented group by the end of 2022. This piece of legislation uses the term underrepresented to refer to individuals self-identifying as Black, African American, Asian, Pacific Islander, Native American, Native Hawaiian, or Alaska Native, Hispanic, Latino, gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender. I recently spoke to an expert about Hispanic or Latino representation at the board level, right before California Governor Gavin Newsom signed this legislation into law. You'll hear our conversation in this episode. I'm Ashley Marshawn Orm, and this is Future Fluency, a podcast by the National Association of Corporate Directors, where we explore the changing face of America through the lens of innovation and culture and their impacts on business. We're talking in this episode to Esther Aguilera, who leads the Latino Corporate Directors Association, or LCDA. I'll let her tell you more about her background and her association. My name is Esther Aguilera, and I'm the president and CEO of the Latino Corporate Directors Association. Um, I have uh, worked in the Washington, D.C. area for 30 years and started my career working on Capitol Hill. I was the executive director of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus doing legislative work with all of the Latino members of Congress on legislative work to you know, comprehensive plans. Diversity has always been um, part of what I've worked on. And I've also always worked with some of our top leaders in the U.S. for members of Congress, cabinet members, and the corporate leadership. And just as a little bit of a background, Ashley, um, LCDA is a fairly new organization. We had a pioneering group of Latino directors who uh, wanted to do something about the low number of Latinos on boards. And they launched LCDA. Our mission is to develop, support, and increase the number of Latinos on board. Our membership has grown, so we bring together among some of the most accomplished and respected leaders in business. And about four years ago, uh, we launched our strategic framework for how we're going to advance the mission. And so, Ashley, we focus on increasing the supply. So we have a a program that identifies board-ready, board-qualified Latinos. These are C-level Latinos that also have experience with large P&Ls so that we can expand the pool. And clearly, there is ample supply of very qualified Latinos for the boardroom. It's amazing, actually, that we still hear the excuse and that say, 
people say, well, I can't find Latinos who are qualified for this board seat or that board seat. One of our goals is to be part of the solution here and, um, and be a resource to search firms, companies, private equity, to find the best talent. And so that's one of the roles that we play, increasing identifying that supply. Thank you, Esther. I'm glad you mentioned that issue of supply. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. But first, the Latino Corporate Directors Association conducted an analysis earlier this year to gauge Latina representation on boards of public companies in California. And to be more specific, your analysis comes after the state enacted SB 826 into law. Now, that law, of course, mandated that public companies whose headquarters are in California needed to have a woman on their board by the end of 2019, and then three women on their boards by 2022 for boards of six or more people. But what did your analysis find about the racial or ethnic makeup of women serving on California's public company boards? Thank you, Ashley, for that question. I'm going to back up just a little bit because one of our focus areas around raising awareness is doing the research. And as you know, Ashley, companies are not required at this point to disclose the makeup of their board. So we have a methodology and have, um, we announced a, a board tracker, a Latino board tracker earlier this year in February to track starting with the Fortune 1000 where the makeup of Latinos are and just overall our numbers on on boards um, in the Fortune 1000, we Latinos hold less than 3% of those board seats. And this is compared to a population that is 18% in the US and we have a GDP and purchasing power of $2.3 trillion dollars um, and so it's a, it's a there's a, a big mismatch even further our numbers on russell 3000 company board is even lower of course uh, the numbers are a mere 1.8 percent of those seats uh, latinos hold and so uh, the number of latinos on boards is uh, staggeringly low um, compared to the supply side and compared to again, our overall importance in the, in the economy. Um, and there's been no progress over the last decade. So our research work started looking at um, all public company boards. And of course, once California signed, um, enacted SB 826, uh, we took a look at the numbers in terms of who's being appointed to the to those boards um, and the numbers are pretty staggering the um we looked at uh how many women were appointed since the law was enacted until july 1 uh, 2020 there were about 511 women appointed to california-based boards and of that number, uh, about 78% were white women. And we found that a very small or much smaller percent were women of color. So what was happening in California is people are going to their immediate networks and not looking and asking about women of color. Um, 
Asian women uh, were about 11% of those appointed among the 511. 5.3% um, were African American Black women, and only 3.3% were Latinas. And this is in a state, as you know, where we are, Latinos are nearly 40% of the population. In fact, the California demographics, Latinos are the largest number with 49% um, white non-Hispanic in the state are 36.5, Asians are 15, and uh, African-Americans are 6% in the state of California. So the numbers were pretty staggering. Um, and so that's what uh, our analysis found. I want to dig deeper there, too. I know you mentioned you know, that the Latino population in California is it's near 40%. I think it's like 39%. So what are some of the reasons that boards are giving for that lack of representation of, of Latinas on boards? I don't think that boards are giving any reasons. I think that it's just, you know, been kind of a classic case of, you know, you have a makeup of, of a board that doesn't represent the um, customer base, the employee base, and often it, the community base uh, or the state demographics. And, you know, unless someone brings it to the attention or unless there's pressure, there's oftentimes no change. I mean, if we look at percentage and number of women on board was small and it's still small, there's been some gains, but that gain for women came after tremendous pressure, starting with institutional investors um, calling on companies to change the demographics of the board because more diverse boards result in more informed decision-making and better decision-making that is good for the company. So when you have a very homogeneous group in the boardroom, it does leave the company vulnerable to some trends and, and things that need to be uh, at the forefront in the boardroom. So if you don't have these folks in your networks, you often don't call on them to come to the board. The other thing I would say is the dynamics in the boardroom is always one in which a lot of the personal relationships that are deciding that board composition. So while some of the board searches are managed by search firms, there's still, you know, more than 90% of the time someone is selected for the board based on a relationship on that board. And so I think the relationships are important and clearly those relationships are not as diverse as they need to be. And that brings me to this next question around why companies should have Latino representation on their boards. Yeah, absolutely. I was uh, mentioning before some of the demographics overall and the GDP. When you have Latinos are driving consumption growth in the country. It's not only uh, 18% of the population, but our numbers are growing by over a million every year. The growth continues. And for every consumer category, whether it's cars, home buying, the year-over-year -year growth, in any industry and, and, and especially on the customer side, that growth is from the Latino consumer. So if you think about it this way, in a country in which half 
of the GDP growth is driven by a particular demographic. And it's by far the largest cohort entering peak consumer years. Wouldn't it make sense for companies to reflect that demographic and insight? What I would say about our membership is we have members with deep industry experience, P&L experience. So we're talking about giving you know, Latinos a chance to interview and a chance to compete for these positions. But the practice has been that we're barely let in the door. So again, the reason here, I'm just going to put it another way, is you know, we feel that no company can be effectively governed without Latino voices in the boardroom, again, because this is a country in which half of our GDP growth year over year is driven by Latinos. That's just the, the market and economic facts. There's a huge imperative here, and I just think there's probably still a lack of awareness and education around uh, what this means uh, for any company to be competitive. What tools and resources might be available to boards to help them increase Latino representation? Yeah, absolutely. We bring together Latinos that serve on publicly traded or large private company boards. Our membership includes Latino CEOs, directors, and C-suite and C-level who we have vetted with our search firm partners and others, you know, board qualified, and we provide programming for them to prep them for the boardroom. So we have a, a great supply of, of ready and board qualified. But our goal is to clearly increase the numbers overall. So whether people come directly to us or they know of other qualified and exceptional talent, Latino talent, you know, by all means, but we are here to be a resource. And as I mentioned, we'll be tracking and writing to companies in California to make them aware that there is a talent pool and, um, you know, challenge them to, to add Latinos to their boards. So with uh, the demographics of what we found in our research, um, it was pretty clear that the overall racial and ethnic makeup of California company boards did not meet close to levels that the legislators thought should be needed. What the legislators said was that they have many years of talking about this subject and encouraging companies to diversify boards. It got to a point when clearly they thought that legislative mandate or requirement uh, was needed because it is not happening on its own. Exactly. And I know there's sometimes the, the debate within the realm of corporate governance about whether boards should become more diverse through legislative acts or voluntarily. So can you share with us your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that the preference is always that boards, you know, arrive at a diverse body uh, on their own. Clearly, that is also, as the research shows, good for the business and good for decision-making and performance. Look, we all have blind spots. And we need to make sure that for board governance, that we have people around the table with a skill set, a diverse skill set to cover and advise and guide the company to represent shareholder interests and, and 
long-term sustainability of the company. You need the skill sets and you need diversity around the table. But what we saw in the last decade is that there was very little, any kind of increase or change in this space. There's been various types of efforts recently to push for more diversity on board. One of them, the first big wave that I think made a huge uh, impact was uh, the sh when the shareholders and institutional investors uh, began making the case and writing to companies that lacked women on board. Now, I thought the, the push by institutional investors and shareholders was very effective because, as you know, the boards are accountable to the shareholders and their shareholders and investors, part owners, were saying that we want to see change. And that change still was not happening until they got more involved sort of with shareholder resolutions and proxies to force the change. So if shareholders had to force that change on gender, that's how the types and the extent of the different types of pressure points that have had to happen because it was not happening on its own. So I would turn to that example. I think the, the legislative and, and other types of pressures are similar to what the, the shareholders and the um, institutional investors kind of made that type of push. And the other thing for, for boards and um, companies to consider is with social media, people do look at who is in the leadership of the company. What is the C-suite look like? What does the board look like? And this information is now not only becoming much more public, but the company's shareholders, employees, customers, and their communities are asking these questions. It is advisable to get ahead of this. Uh, because they hearing more voices and the voices are increasing. You know, we heard from State Street and others that are calling for disclosure, uh, not just of the board composition, but of the workforce. And the shareholders are getting involved because obviously they want to be able to make informed investment decisions. And for them, informed investment decisions uh, include diversity, and that helps with the business performance as has been documented by multiple studies. Could you offer a couple of recommended steps either for board members or people who specifically serve on nominating and governance committees? Absolutely. Well, actually, we put together a very comprehensive plan for, for boards, and it wasn't just us. So we formed a coalition. We call ourselves the Diverse Corporate Directors Coalition, bringing together Latino Corporate Directors Association, and I helped to found this group, the Black Corporate Directors Conference, SN Pinnacle, the Asian Directors, Women Corporate Directors, and um, Quorum, which is an LGBTQ+. Plus directors group. And we uh, announced an action plan, a, a very kind of some very useful tools of how boards can proceed and, and look at this. And it's a three-part plan. By the way, Ashley, uh, following this, I'm happy to share that with you so that listeners can have access to it. I think it just, once you see the plan, it kind of makes sense. So there's three parts. One is kind of on the policy, practice, and accountability. 
Um, and again, the premise is that shareholders and others are going to be calling for more accountability of companies. So the same old, same old is not going to work. I think a, a lot of people are feeling like we've been here before. There's systemic exclusion that has kept black and brown people out of positions of power. In order to fix this, we need to really have accountability. There's been efforts in the past, but they really have not gone to the source or the root of, of that kind of systemic exclusion. So there are, again, many reasons to really think about these practices and policies versus policy practice. The policy side is there are um, to disclose. The first step is disclosing the makeup of the company board and the C-suite and the workforce because transparency is important. We know what gets measured gets results. So adopt a policy. We Companies should select you know, the best match and the best talent for their boards, but look at a, a broader source of candidates. So the, the second part is on practice. If you have a search, I would say more than 50% of the candidates should be race and ethnically diverse, at least, plus women, right? What we're seeing now as well and what we measured in California is that it was great we saw more women appointed, but California boards remained all white, meaning we had added women, but you still have a board that is men and women that are all white. For boards that are all white, they should have a slate of candidates that's 100% racial and ethnic diverse. When they start meeting and interviewing this fabulous talent, it's going to be like, wow how do we pick and choose with this tremendous talent? And what we're really just saying is give us a chance to compete, to interview. It, it will be a process that um, is, is embracing. Take a look at how your board search and your, your policies are. And then on the practice side, as I mentioned, it comes down to accountability. Measure and track, ask the questions in the boardroom, ask tough questions, put it on the agenda. That's super helpful. And something you just said that really stuck out to me was that phrase, give us a chance to compete. And that's why companies can look to organizations like LCDA, because you have access to that talent, right? Esther, is there anything else that you'd think would be interesting for our listeners to know? As we, we look at this environment, it has also kind of made it clear that more diverse teams, senior teams and boardrooms. This is a, an advantage to companies to help navigate the next normal. The next normal as part of the pandemic, the next normal to um, our social inequality, and the next normal to uh, really tapping and being uh, forward thinking about your marketplace, your employees are going to be changing. Our workplaces are going to be diverse and the board should reflect a lot of this. So it's, it's hopefully something that, again, we can all embrace as a positive thing that is only going to make our, our companies and performance better. Wonderful. Thank you, Esther, so much for sharing these insights with us. Thank you for your time. My pleasure, Ashley. Thank you so much. And listeners, thanks again for joining us. 
Our next episode is going to focus again on the board. More specifically, we'll be talking about the board's role in overseeing environmental, social, and governance issues, also known as ESG. That's next time on Future Fluency. For more resources and guest bios, check out the show notes or the episode page at nacdonline.org slash podcast. Future Fluency is produced by Bruno Falcon and edited by Bruno Falcon and Mark Williams-Holscher. This podcast is a production of the National Association of Corporate Directors. For more information on NACD or to become a member, please visit nacdonline.org.